podcast, Biblical Question. Today we're going to talk about being my brother's keeper. That's one of the first questions that you'll find in the Bible. Before we begin, I want to remind everybody to go to our webpage at biblicalquestion.com and there you will find links to our Twitter account that we finally got going and a LinkedIn page on the social media. And we have done some other updates as well. I hope you will check that out. We thank those who have supported us and helped us and encouraged us along the way with positive emails and and just verbally, those who know us personally have encouraged us as well. And I thank God for, for all that encouragement. So today we're going to talk about being my brother's keeper. How many of us really think that we don't have to worry about each other in our in our spiritual walk? That there's not a single hair of accountability or responsibility to God or to one another. We knowingly sit and watch our brother or sister in Christ. They're stumbling, they're falling down, and it's due to a sin problem that's very clear and apparent. In turn, what do we do? Uh, most of the time, I think we look the other way. We don't do anything about it. We kind of carry this attitude that it is really none of our business and we need to keep our noses out of it. And no doubt, this is a trend throughout uh, our society today with many people. And I understand where uh, people come from, why they do that. Most of it has been raised uh, to mind our own business. But if you would stop and look around, we have built privacy fences to keep nosy neighbors from peeking in on us. Uh, those folks that live in town, they probably even keep all their blinds closed on their house all day long so that nobody can see in. I actually know some people who actually live in their basements. And why is that? Well, there might be different reasons, but I think most of all, it's so that we could have privacy. We want privacy. In our world and our society today, we have the internet, and anybody can search about you all they want, and 90% of it's probably false information that somebody hasn't bothered really to verify. One of the other things I did was a study when I went through a seminary, a preaching school, was it was on the generations. And I thought that it was really kind of funny, one, that uh, on one of the generations, they liked to buy their neighbor's house when it would go up for sale. And they would either use it for storage or they would just literally tear the house down and, and make their lot bigger. And basically, at the end of the day, they just really did not want neighbors. They grew up on farms and without neighbors as young people, and now they're trying to get uh, more privacy, more distance between them and the people around them. Anyway, back to our, our spiritual lies. Do we, do we put up privacy fences, keep the binds closed and a sign hanging out that says no one is home? Now, I'm not trying to say that everyone in the whole world and the church needs to, to know every sin uh, that we commit or, or have problems with in our lives. But we need to be able to see somebody when they're troubled. You can tell it. Maybe they're talking about it. Maybe you actually just flat out see the sinful lifestyle they're in. And when somebody's fallen away from sin, at this point do we 
Do we need to say, hey, look out, brother, look out, sister, you're in danger there of losing your soul, and maybe ours as well? Now, if you're really thinking, I'm not responsible for that person and their actions and what they do in their lives, and I would agree with you up to a certain point, and that certain point, then you can wash your hands. And I'm going to base that off of Ezekiel chapter 3. If you want to follow along, I would encourage you to do so. Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 18 through 21. When I say to the wicked, you will surely die, and you do not warn him, speak out to warn the wicked from his wicked way that he might live, that man shall die in his iniquity. In other words, he will die in his sin. But his blood I will require at your hand. Yet if you have warned the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity. But you had delivered yourself. Verse 20. Again, when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and I place an obstacle out before him, he will die. Since you have not warned him, he shall die in his sin, and his righteous deeds which he had done shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. Verse 21. However, if you have warned the righteous man that the righteous should not sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live. He took the warning, and you have gave yourself over for deliverance. This is a, a, the second place here. The Ezekiel will say the same thing. I mean, he basically, he repeats it later in the book. In uh, chapter 33, verses 8 and 9, says, When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require from your hand. But if you, on your part, warn a wicked man to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he will die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your life. Okay, so it seems to me to be very clear that these scriptures are telling us that there is a duty, there is a responsibility that we have, and that is to warn others of the pitfalls they may be falling into, or perhaps they're already in it. So, can we close the blinds and put up privacy fences, not only to keep people from looking in, but perhaps even more importantly, do we build them to keep us from looking out? You see, if we're not looking out, then we cannot help those who really might be in need, spiritually speaking. Simply because we, we do not know that there could be an emergency just on the other side of the fence. As we can't see it. Then there is an, an adult to all of this. We, we tear down the blinds and the fence, and if you see something that is wicked and sinful, then we need to warn that person of their sins and their wickedness. The text does not say that you go up to that person out of hate or out of spite or to make yourself look better than they, or more righteous or more holier than they are. The text does not say go to that person and make idle threats. This does not say to be tolerant 
to what's going on and what you're clearly observing. This needs to be done out of love and concern, a care for your fellow brother or sister, that there's hope here as well, that you can help save that soul from burning in hell. It is not fun, it's not easy to ever approach anybody, even if you've known them their, your whole life, perhaps, and you say, brother, what you're doing here is clearly sinful, and can we please talk about it? Can I pray with you about it? What can I do to help you get out of this situation that you're in? Have we even turned to Jesus and tried to include him in this? You see, there's always a fear in the consequences, I guess, to say at the least, that the person will will leave the church, break the relationship with you, and you'll never see them again, and they'll never come back. And if this really happens, then you have to ask yourself this question. Did that person already leave God weeks, months, or even years ago? Oh yes, the flesh and the heart and the soul uh, was already lost, but we just simply didn't know that. They've been struggling that long. There really should be a greater fear for us if we truly love the person that we're worried about. That fear again is that a soul would be lost to eternal damnation. When we approach that person and, and they would see the errors of their ways and they would repent, what a joyful day that should be for everybody. It may not be real fun. It may not be a great experience from either side in a certain situation like this. But hopefully somewhere down the way, down the path of life, somewhere they would stop and think, well, that person really did care for me. They, they said they loved me and they cared for me, uh, and they really actually showed it. Everybody else ignored me and let me swim in my sinful, painful uh, time in my life. I stayed in the valley if it wouldn't have been for that person. They helped pull me up, and we climbed that mountain together with Jesus to get out of that situation. And you know, Paul tries to stress some of these same thoughts and ideas along to us as well. And he would write to, to the church in Thessalonica, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. It says, We encourage you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. This word, admonish, I, I had to go look it up to make sure that I understand what the word really meant correctly. Webster states it this way, to counsel against something or to kindly but seriously warn. So the Apostle Paul, in his wording here, he reinforces what we should already know and how we should be doing it, and how we would want to be treated. None of us want someone to approach us in a hateful tone, and, and our voice and the body language sounds like a, an old drill sergeant. But rather we should approach with an encouraging tone and, and body language with everyone when we see someone falling like this. I would hope if somebody saw me uh, struggling with a sinful situation that they would come help me. They'd help help us get up, get up off the ground so we could start walking again. Paul makes it clear here also that 
this really takes patience on our part. We need all need to understand that the next person's sin is really no worse than any sin that you and I have ever committed. Jesus talks to us about this, the very subject as well, in Matthew chapter 18. So let's go straight to the source here and see what Jesus has to say about it. Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. Verse 16. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. You see, Jesus says to, to announce your brother's sin, clear out and across the internet or in the local newspaper or go to his employer, to go to wherever, and say, hey, you know, he's committed a lot of sin. He shouldn't be there. No, that's not what Jesus said to do. Jesus said, go to him in private. And Jesus makes that clear, that every time that we do this, it should be a private matter in the beginning. And if it ends there, and there's confession, and there's prayer, the soul is healed. The danger of that person's soul has passed. And nobody really has to know about it. Again, I, I want to stress that. Really, no one has to know. Sins that are confessed and forgiven, uh, they're forgotten by God, and we need to follow suit. But if he doesn't listen to you, then the little things uh, that perhaps I shouldn't say little, but big things in sin, because sin is a big deal. But he, if he doesn't listen to you and things don't change, again, I don't believe it should be broadcast all over the internet. You don't need to go telling his friends and his neighbors or his employer. But the number of people that you might take next time needs to increase. Again, it says two or three. And that's not the whole church, not where I've ever been. And it's not the whole town. It's still a private matter. The problem is not to spark a, a wildfire that consumes every air in the whole community. And again, if that person repents, it's over, and there's no need to spread that shame or embarrassment of that person. If he does repeat, he has to be able to walk around with his head held high. Because, you know, we all want to save face. And who are we to, to allow him to, to be disgraced forever and ever in the community or with his employer or with his family? We would not want that to happen to us. And sadly, I know it has happened. You know, Jesus would say, well, in verse 17, he takes it a little further. But now, if he continues to sin, it will not listen. Now the church should be told about it. And again, I, I, a, a non-Christian person, a, non, a person that has not accepted the gospel doesn't really need to know church business. It's a private matter within the church. 
Now, if it's a public sin, more than likely the community knows about it. Or, but let's not be gossipers. The whole purpose, really, in all of this is get the person to realize that they are sinning and they need to repent and ask for forgiveness. I mean, back in verse 15, the answer is given to us by Jesus why we do all of this. And I quote, If he listens to you, you have won your brother. End quote. You know, a lot of hate and spite can come out of this and people who spread rumors over sins. And perhaps that person has been forgiven and you not even uh, allow that person to continue to walk. And shame on you. We put the blood of Jesus on trial when somebody has been forgiven of their sin and you make a big deal of it years down the road and go get him in trouble with his employer, with his family, maybe his spouse, who knows. But you know, most of us have studied the Bible. We know about a man in Corinth, in the church in Corinth. And he, he's openly sinning. And the church really does nothing about it. In fact, they somewhat cheered on. But Paul, the apostle, he'll tell them that they are wrong in letting this openly go out in public. So the church does what Paul would tell them to do. And he would say, you know, not even heathens, not even non-believers accept the fact that you're praising a man who's sleeping with his stepmother. So the church... Apparently this man does repent. If you go and study that, later in, the, in chapter, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he starts talking about, you need to accept him back with love. That man has stopped sinning. He's been forgiven. What you set out to do as a congregation is working. It worked. Because he's no longer sinning. And you need to stop uh, running him over a rail and tar and feathering him. He doesn't deserve that. And the blood of Christ doesn't deserve to be treated that way either. You want your sins forgiven and forgotten and not continually thrown in your face. Uh, let's not do that to others. The writer of Proverbs, he had several thoughts on this subject, on what we've been talking about here today on the podcast. If you want to follow me there, that would be great. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 26. It says, like a, a muddied spring or a polluted well is a righteous man who gives the way to the wicked. And in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17 says, As an iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We all have perhaps seen and done a little uh, blacksmithing. I know... I've seen pictures of it, watched it in the movies, I've been to Silver Dollar City and watched him uh, in the blacksmith shop there. And it's clear to me uh, what this is going on here, what the proverb writer's trying to say. When the blacksmith is, is pounding away and he's trying to, to shape that hot iron, he doesn't really gently shape it. There are times where he is pounding away pretty hard at what is trying to form what he's trying to form there. Shaping that iron uh, to work and what he wants it to do. Sometimes a hammer could slip and the, the blacksmith could get hurt. Sometimes people's feelings will be, be hurt when you tell them what they need to do and they, they should repent and you're trying to encourage them. 
I think an important guideline for all of us would be to remember how you'd want to be approached and how you would want somebody to talk to you. Let us who, who claim to be righteous not muddy or pollute the waters by giving away to sin either. We need to let sin be where it's at, in hell and not with other people. We need to have this deepest sincerity that we want to love and help one another all the way to heaven's throne room to receive our reward from Christ in his kingdom. I certainly hope that you would start thinking this way and that all of us would be encouraged. I know that uh, nobody probably listening, including the speaker, has always followed this rule and this guideline. But we need to start our walk with God and, and have the promises that He has given to us. We need to encourage each other as well again that they also can have the promises of life everlasting with God for all eternity. I want to thank you again for taking time to listen to us today on Biblical Question uh, on the podcast here. If you want to go to our webpage, I'd encourage you to do that as well. And there you can find links to our Twitter account and our LinkedIn page as well. Find other updates and uh, what we're trying to do and accomplish. There you also can contact us with any questions you might have. We have a few questions occasionally come in, uh, mainly just good positive remarks and encouragement and we are thankful for that we certainly hope god has blessed you in your time of listening with us please tell your friends about us and make sure you hit that like button and leave a positive comment on itunes or google play and there's so many other apps that we're on now and it's just amazing how god has allowed this to spread all over the world and so many people are listening now more and more every week Until next week, may God bless you, and may he have all the glory.